Hey, this is Thomas Q. Jones, former UVA All-American running back, and you're listening to The Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Wahoo! Welcome to The Jerry Ratcliffe Show. I am Chris Graham, and we got a lot of news to get into, but I do want to get into one bit of news first. Jerry Ratcliffe, whose name is on this show, um, is a among the newest class of Virginia Sports Hall of Fame members. At least he will be in the class of 2023. That news coming down this week. Jerry, congratulations on this honor. Well, thank you, Chris. It means a lot coming from you. Uh, you've helped me a great deal, and I have in, uh, immense gratitude to you and your wife. Um, but thank you. It's a very humbling uh, honor for sure and uh something i didn't know if would happen or not and uh it's just cool uh it's cool going in with uh zim and and number 12 along with the other honorees but uh, those two in particular since i've had such a long relationship with those two guys and uh personal friends so um very humble and uh the response has been overwhelming i'm i've have uh, incredible gratitude to all of those people who have congratulated me and uh, sent well wishes, and uh, I appreciate all of them. I was thinking when I saw, of course, saw the news about your name being in the list, and then, wow, how cool is it to be in there with guys like Sean Moore and, and Ryan Zimmerman, too? That is, that's incredible. I mean, if, if it can be even more an honor, I'm sure that's part of it as well. Um, so let's get to the news now. Um, we were thinking when we scheduled to talk today, we, we, we try to talk every Thursday at four o'clock uh, Eastern time. Uh, we we're thinking, oh, we'll talk about basketball. Virginia basketball has got a game with Florida State. They just won a game, big one at Michigan this week. Uh, probably won't talk any football. And then, yes, there's news in football breaking in the last hour as we're getting ready to record. Brennan Armstrong headed to the transfer portal. Um we were both a little surprised that he still had the year of eligibility left. I had kind of presumed maybe he did, but now we confirm he has a year of eligibility left and apparently um, intends to spend it somewhere other than Charlottesville. Yeah, and that part doesn't surprise me at all. Um, we, uh, anyone that covered Virginia football this year and, and spent time in the locker rooms or not locker room, but the interview rooms afterward and, and other interviews during the week or, or whatever easily could sense the frustration uh, from Armstrong about just how the offense didn't work, just didn't click. The new uh, passing system brought in by Tony Elliott and this catching just never clicked. It just, uh, it, it, you know, everybody knows the numbers that how great they were in 2021 when Virginia and Armstrong led the nation for most of the season in passing, uh, all sorts of categories, um, deep completed passes, big play passes, um, touchdowns, yardage, completion percentage, you name it. Uh, so many receivers that had incredible numbers and uh, were rated by Lindy's Magazine in the preseason as uh, one of the top four schools in terms of returning receivers in the country. Uh, those other schools went on and had great years this year, but Virginia obviously did not. Um, so the frustration was there week after week. And 
I mean, I wasn't aware. I thought that he might have another year because of the COVID, but I wasn't sure. Uh, but but now that we're aware that he did have the extra year, uh, it was no surprise that he wanted to get out of here and and move on to somewhere where he can experience uh, the kind of year or at least something akin to the kind of year he had in 2021. And there's already been speculation he may end up at Syracuse with former coordinator Robert and I and former quarterback coach um, Jason Beck, um, and why not? I mean, I, I think if I'm not mistaken, Syracuse had a, a graduate transfer quarterback in this past season, and uh, I, I imagine they're in the market for an experienced quarterback, and who better than to get a guy that you've worked with and had success with? I don't have to re uh, teach the system to. He knows the system as well as anybody can possibly know that system. Yeah, that's right. You know, the only thing I thought that could keep um, – keep him and some others maybe on the offense from thinking about uh, entering the transfer portal um, was, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm presuming here, I don't have any information, so I don't want to mislead anybody, but the, the way the offense struggled this year, Des Kitching seems like he might be on a short leash in terms of his job. Um, you know, if, if the season hadn't ended the way it did, and we all know the way it ended, um, my thought was after the Virginia Tech game that would have been played last weekend, Kitchings may have been on the unemployment line as early as Monday. Um, and, you know, the promise of a new offensive coordinator could have maybe at least factored into a decision by a guy like Brennan, for example, the leader of the offense, to, to maybe uh, whether or not he would go. Um, I'm reading tea leaves here on this too, but uh, maybe the fact that he's, you know, here it is, you know, a few days before the transfer portal formally opens up, uh, he's already announcing his intent to enter the transfer portal. Maybe he's getting some indication that that there isn't going to be a change, or he just doesn't want to stick around to see. I, that could be the other side of this too. Well, that's true, and then, well, I don't think we know Tony Elliott well enough now to to make an educated guess as to what he might do, um, whether or not there had been a tragedy uh, with the program, but. Uh, we don't we don't know that he would have made a change there, and even if there was, I don't think Tony Elliott is going to change his mind on his system and implementing his system, uh, which obviously just didn't click. And um, you know, maybe it will with a new quarterback and uh, new offensive personnel, but it certainly didn't this past year, and. I don't know how much they tried to adjust it throughout the season. We, he told us that he, at, at times, made you know tried to simplify some things or, or, or of that nature. But whatever they did, it just never really panned out. And uh, you know, maybe maybe they need to start all over again with new personnel because if if they're not going to make any changes to it. It doesn't matter what the coordinator is, if it's a new coordinator or not. If if they're if they're not going to change the system, I, I don't know if it's going to click with anybody. I I, I don't know. It, it's 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 a big question mark going forward as to whether you know whether Brennan had come back or not, uh, whether Jay Wolford or a transfer quarterback or or whoever comes in, is it going to click with them? either 
new coordinator or no new coordinator? I, that's a that's a really big question going forward into spring ball, Chris. It really is. And, you know, Brennan this time last year was putting his name in the NFL draft consideration. Um, we yeah. don't know exactly what word he got back, but he decided to come back. Um, you know, I don't and, think he got good news in that department, or I think he might have been gone. But uh, I don't think the NFL people thought he was ready yet. There's that. And, you know, if, if even if he would have been told he's a late round pick, that's a risk. If you're told you're a sixth or seventh round pick, you could always be an undrafted free agent. And then, and then you would regret uh, giving up a, another year to maybe hone yourself, hone your skills uh, and improve your draft stock. Um, but that said, now it's wide open at quarterback for Virginia. Now, Jay Wolfolk is he was the number two guy this year. And, you know, he's ostensibly he going to stay around. Plus, he's got the baseball side of things. He wants to stay around for that. He's got a promising baseball career and certainly will be a big part of Virginia baseball again in the spring. Uh, he was the setup man uh, for the for the who's this past season and presumably could move into a, a, a closer role or who knows, maybe he'll compete for a weekend starting job. We'll, we'll, we'll just have to see that on the baseball side of things. But um, that complicates what he can do with football because, of course, spring football, 15 practices in March and April um, coincides with the heart of the ACC baseball season, uh, the start in, in, the, in the middle of the ACC baseball season. And so, yeah, that makes it so it, it, with Armstrong now formally on his way out, um, likely Virginia is going to have to go to the transfer portal themselves to see if they can find, if nothing else, depth at quarterback, even just someone to compete with Wolfolk, maybe a couple guys to compete for that job as well. Yeah, and if they do, I imagine they'll try to look for somebody that fits the kind of system that they're trying to use there. Um, and I don't know how unique that system is to college football in terms of that system. Uh, and how hard it'll be to find somebody that is acclimated to that. Um, I don't know if there's any uh, body on the Clemson roster in quarterback situation that might be thinking about leaving there or not. That, uh, and again, they may not know this system either because they had a new coordinator this past year too. I don't know how much their system now uh, is similar to the system they used under Tony Elliott, uh, or, or whether it was just a Dabo system and and it stayed the same. But yeah, it, it's wide open. Uh, Jay Wolfolk is was said to be this past season the quarterback of the future, and I assume that he is. Uh, and obviously, he has been in the system for a year. But uh, we we don't we haven't seen much of him, so we don't know how well he adapted to it either. And uh, you know, like you said, he has a baseball career to think about too. So uh, I'm assuming he'll come back to football, but I guess you never know until you see what happens this spring. That's right. That's right. He's um, uh, you know, it interests me that, that there was talk late. Uh, in the season as Virginia played it out um, for a couple of weeks, at least Tony Elliott talked about having a package of plays for Jay uh, to, you know, get him on the field and maybe do some evaluation. Um, we never got to see him uh, in that action. As it turned out, uh, you know, they, they didn't use, they, they put him in one in, in some plays. He was lined up a wide receiver or at running back, but he never got any plays at, at quarterback. Um, and then, you know, who knows what they would have done perhaps in the last two games, Coastal Carolina and Virginia Tech. We, we'll never know that now. They may have had some more action for him then. But, yeah, we'll, he'll go in as an untested, at least from a game standpoint, untested uh, entity 
in that respect. So, hey, uh, for the listeners out there, jerryratcliffe.com, augustafreepress.com, we'll be keeping up with whatever other developments there are on the transfer portal um, the next few days, next couple of weeks, certainly um, with, with that. And um, we can maybe presume there will be some more activity, certainly uh, in that realm. So, um, so Jerry, let's switch to basketball. The uh, Virginia men's team first. The women's team is doing great. They're not and as well. I mean, right now, Virginia, both the men and women are undefeated. Uh, the men, we'll, we'll, we'll start with them. They're, uh, they're 6-0. They're um, number three in the country. And uh, an impressive come-from-behind win in their first true road test of the season, Tuesday night at Michigan. Down 11 at halftime, clamped on the defense, kept the offense running, and uh, got five guys in double figures, and, and Virginia pulls out the win. Um, that was, an impre- to me, an impressive win just because of the nature of the way things was go- were going. I mean, Michigan had 45 points in the first half. Um, and, uh, you know, Virginia really had to, to do some work there. Um, what, what your thoughts on that game, Jerry? I, I agree, Chris. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a better road win anywhere in the country this season than, than coming back from 11 down at halftime at Michigan. It was a very hostile environment, um, against a, a decent team. Uh, Michigan got a, uh, I guess they're five and two, but, and even though they had struggled, there's still some talent on, in, in that program, and they're hard to beat at home. But, uh, yeah, that was really impressive, the way they made adjustments at halftime. Uh, Tony kind of sicked his guards onto the Michigan guards a little bit and shut down their three-point shooting in the second half. They only made one three-pointer in the second half. I think that was probably the overall difference in the game after they made seven, I think, in the first half. But the mental adjustment that he had made, he challenged his team to be more physical because Michigan was just riding roughshod over those guys in the first half. And Virginia met the challenge. (laughs) Kevin, I mean, uh, Caden Shedrick met it full force with his with his mouth, taking uh, an elbow from the big Michigan big guy, Dick Dickinson, and was called for the foul somehow. I still can't figure that one out. It looked like Shedrick got fouled twice on that play to me, and uh, instead he was the one that was called with the foul and left the game with a bloody mouth uh, from that elbow. Um, but Virginia matched them physically in the second half, and I thought that was a huge difference as well. And I, I still, and I said this, I said this several years ago, and I, I've said it every year since then, and I'll continue to say it. I, I don't think there's a coach in the country in any sport, particularly in college basketball, that makes better halftime adjustments than Tony Bennett. He's, you know, it's it's funny. We're watching the game. Um, it's 45, 34 at halftime. And I'm thinking to myself, that's not going to persist. Um, Tony's going to figure yeah. something out here. And you, you just, we just, we've seen it for years. Um, I'm impressed particularly, I mean, Hunter, Hunter Dickinson, the, the 7-1 big for, for Michigan. One, he's an NBA talent. He reminds mm. me of Davidis Sabonis, um, who's now playing out in Sacramento after some years in Indiana with Malcolm Brogdon. Um, you know, a lefty who's got a mid-range game, can score at the basket. He's, he's very deliberate. He, you know, very patient, very high-efficiency kind of guy, good passer, got all the skills. He's from Northern Virginia, as it turns out. Um, I looked at his recruiting profile, and Virginia was way down on his list to a point where he didn't even visit Virginia. Um, but, um, um, 
you know, in the second half, Cafaro had four fouls in four minutes, so he wasn't available as an option, and he wasn't effective even around those four fouls in four minutes. Caden Shedrick eventually fouls out, as you mentioned. He fouled out on that play where he got elbowed in the mouth. Um, there was there were long stretches where Ben Vanderplas, six eight um, perimeter shooter, primarily for this team, had to guard Dickinson one on one. Now he got some help with some post to post doubles from Jaden Gardner, a six six guy. But Dickinson had 14 in the first half on seven of 10 shooting. He had um, seven in the second half uh, on two of seven shooting. Um, yeah. They did a great job with a smaller lineup neutralizing their big. In addition to the guards, I mean, Jet Howard will pl- could play for anybody in the country um, as well, the son of Juwan Howard, who, who's a freshman uh, a 6'8 guard for them. But, um, boy, the job that Vanderplas did on Dickinson, I think, was, was noteworthy. Yeah, and, and sometimes you can get by with that, uh, using smaller, quicker guys to double and uh, harass a guy and try to take the ball away from him, front him and back him and try to not deny the entry pass. Or if once he gets the entry pass, double him and not eliminate his movements. Uh, even though he's he's really good for his size, it's hard for him to, I think, have – uh, I think it restricts his movement a little bit when there's two guys on him, no matter what size they are. So, uh, and and reaching for the ball, uh, trying to keep him from doing any damage. But the, that guy's good. I mean, he's he's really good. I, he's definitely going to be playing in the NBA. Uh, he and the and the big guy from Purdue right now appear to be the two best centers in the country that I've seen this season. But um, yeah, Vanderplas should be applauded. Gardner as well, and Vanderplas was uh, another. Uh, and I, I, I said before the season, Chris, you and I talked about it. I, I think getting Vanderplas coming into the program as a transfer, I think it's better than signing a five-star recruit out of high school because this guy's been there. He understands college basketball. He's talented. He can play inside uh, and outside, and. He gave him a really nice offensive dimension when they needed it really bad there late in the second half. He had a seven-point spurt that was one of the keys to the game, keeping Virginia in it. And um, and uh, he just gave him a, another option when some of the other guys were being kind of quieted a little bit. Uh, yeah, he might have been the MVP of the game. I'm not sure, but it, he certainly was worthy of it. Uh, just an outstanding performance. Yeah, he can play three, four, or five. The versatility will be really important for this team going as, as the year goes on. Uh, we got to talk about Reese Beekman, too. I'm just realizing that because of the schedule we normally do on Thursdays, we didn't talk last Thursday. Uh, and so as a result, we didn't talk about the Vegas uh, experience for Virginia. What happened in Vegas <laughs> didn't stay in Vegas. They they won the, the, the two games out there beating Baylor and Illinois. And Reese Beekman is emerging. I mean, we've been waiting for this for a couple of years. This is his third season at Virginia. And man, he he has really he's really grown finally. I mean, he's hitting threes consistently within the flow of the offense. He's got confidence to take those shots and he's making those shots. But him getting into the lane and getting to the rim and finishing shots off, he did it great in the I think it was the Illinois game down the stretch in that one. Uh he was he was the offense in the, in the first half for Virginia on Tuesday night against Michigan. And then comes back from the injury and has a big steal down the stretch that really he made the free throw on the intentional foul. Then after the ball's inbounded, Kia Clark makes two free throws. That that play solidified the game for Virginia late. 
Reese Beekman is playing like the NBA talent that I think we've thought he would be for ever since he walked on grounds. Yeah, that was definitely the play of the game when he stole that ball and went coast to coast with it, but uh, getting intentionally fouled um, and was MVP of the of the tournament. And uh, he's got a nice championship belt, heavyweight championship belt like Mike Tyson that he can hang up on his uh, mantle somewhere. Uh, I'm sure his mama's probably got that displayed somewhere prominently in their home if she's got it by now. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, he has emerged, and I think the national media is starting to catch on to how great this guy is. Uh, Virginia fans have known for all along and just waiting for him to pop out, and, and he certainly has. And, uh, I mean, he scored 18 the other night uh, in the Michigan game to lead Virginia and had five assists, and, and that was, um, you know, uh, and that was with a bad ankle that uh, – limited his movements most of the second half um, or at least part of the second half. And, uh, and we saw Ethan Saliba, Virginia's veteran trainer, uh, work his magic yet again. He, he, anybody's got a bad ankle, he, he can tape it up to where they can function pretty well uh, as, as well as anybody could imagine uh, on a, on a rolled ankle. And, so he he deserves some credit too, as as always. Ethan is a magic, a magic man. But um, yeah, Bigman, we haven't seen the best of him yet. He's just getting better and better and better. Yeah, Ethan. Uh, I, I I was thinking back when when Beekman got hurt and we saw him take his shoe off and there and Ethan's taping his ankle up. I'm thinking back to the Purdue game in the Elite Eight when um, Kyle Guy rolled his ankle. Um, and Kyle was struggling in the NCAA tournament at that point. And after he got the angle taped up, he, he couldn't miss in the second half of that game against Purdue, uh, second half and overtime of that game against Purdue. So, um, yeah, it's almost like, Hey, you know, <laughs> if you get hurt, that's okay. He's going to fix you up and, and get you back out there. Um, Jerry, you've been watching Virginia basketball for 40 plus years. Uh, what are your thoughts on this team? I mean, I think going into the season, I thought that this team was going to be a really good team. It's certainly a top three team. I thought they you know, might certainly edge out either one of the two, Duke and Carolina. To, to this point in the season, Virginia has outplayed everybody in the ACC, and you know they're number three in the country for a reason. Um, I thought this Virginia team might suffer a couple of losses early on because of the fact that you know you got some new guys working in, you're playing a tough schedule. Um, this Michigan game has me thinking that the ceiling might be even a little higher than I thought going in. I want to get you have the longer view than I have. What are you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. I mean, that kind of schedule and all three of those games were away from Charlottesville. And even though this team is experienced and uh, old in, in the sense that they've got some graduate or fifth year guys um that's still uh you know they didn't all of them didn't play together last year uh, with Vanderplas and then the two freshmen and these other guys didn't have a, a lot of success on the road last year so they were a little bit untested in that area of the game and so it was reasonable to think that there was no way they were going to go three and0 against Michigan on the road, Illinois, and Baylor in a, a neutral environment, if you want to call it that. 
but uh, it was still away from home. And uh, I mean, they came out of that unscathed and and had two incredible second half comebacks. I mean, look at what they did against Baylor and starting with a 25, 20 to five run coming out of the dressing room at halftime to dominate that game until Baylor's athleticism um, got them back in the game late. But um, I didn't think they'd go 0-3. I thought they would win one or two of those games. I didn't think they'd win them all. Um, And I I think they've got an excellent chance to beat Houston and Charlottesville in a couple of weeks. The, The one thing about that game that worries me, Chris, is it's their first game coming out of the exam break. And we've seen in the past that without a game during that long stretch of time, that sometimes Virginia doesn't show up in the best form. You can tell that there's some rust, even though they're practicing, they're still not playing against another team. But I think that's the one thing that in the back of my mind, that makes me wonder if they can handle uh, the number one team in the nation um, in a setting like that. But uh I think, you know, the, those three games, to me, Chris, prove that they can play with anybody in the country. And uh, they're Final Four worthy if they can continue to play this way throughout the ACC schedule, which there's, there's no reason that they shouldn't just keep getting better and better. And we've seen that Carolina obviously has some weaknesses that we didn't anticipate with, with almost their entire roster coming back off a national runner-up team. I thought they might have an edge on Duke because even as talented as Duke is, those guys, for the most part, are still freshmen. They have a transfer and they have a guy uh, back from last year's team that was one of the key players. But uh, for the most part, they're rookies, and it takes a while for those guys to figure it out. But right now, Virginia, like you said, is playing as good or better than anybody in the ACC. And and even though some of the conferences has – shown to be kind of on the weak side at the bottom of the uh, roster, so to speak. But there's some other good teams. I mean, Miami's good. Uh, Notre Dame showed last night they can play some good basketball. Um, So it's not going to be a cakewalk by any stretch of the imagination. But, um, wow, I mean, these guys have impressed me. I I know some people didn't think that they would be this good this early, but I thought they had a chance, but I didn't even I didn't think they'd be undefeated right now. Looking for a great dining experience in Charlottesville? Look no further than the Aberdeen Barn. The barn has been family owned and operated since 1965, with Terry and Angela providing great atmosphere and mouth-watering food at Virginia's big time steakhouse. Enjoy the fine dining or relax in the Sportsman's Bar, a fantastic place to wind down and socialize, surrounded by flat-screen televisions tuned to the latest sporting events. You never know who you might bump into at the Aberdeen Barn, where all the greatest Cavaliers have dined over the decades and keep coming back for the delicious menu and good times. Check it out online at AberdeenBarn.com or call 434-296-46. 
Hi, it's Jonathan Cotton with the Good Feet Store. As a lifelong runner, the pain in my feet was debilitating. Finally, I went into the Good Feet Store and found the answer personally fit art supports. They helped me so much, I ran my first marathon that year. Then, because I believed in the Good Feet system so much, I bought the store. I'm so happy to offer my hometown community the opportunity to find relief from foot, knee, and back pain. The Good Feet store is located in the shops at Stonefield near Trader Joe's. Book your appointment today at goodfeet.com. UVA Orthopedics and Sports Medicine boast one of the finest teams of doctors in the country, and they're right here in Charlottesville to not only provide care for the University of Virginia athletic teams, but also the Charlottesville and Central Virginia communities. UVA Orthopedics has been a proud sponsor of the Jerry Ratcliffe Show for the past two years, with numerous team members featured in weekly segments where doctors share great insight into various sports injuries, what causes them, how to treat them, and recovery time. Their team of experts are there for you and offer the best care to solve your health problems and get you back on your feet. Let their team of specialists get you back in the game. Yeah, I was thinking it was more like the 2013-2014 team that might suffer a couple losses early, but kind of like that team did. By the time they got to January, they were ready, and they won the that team won the ACC regular season, won the tournament, got a number one seed in the tournament. Uh, got to the Sweet 16. Um, a lot of people still, I'm one of them, thinks Tevin Jones got fouled, and <laughs> maybe, maybe we win that game too. But um, uh, that's been a while, and I'm still holding a grudge. But, uh, yeah, that, uh, that this this year's team might play like that team. Um, it's early, I know, but this team's reminding me more of the 2017, 2018, and 2018-2019 teams that had tough early season schedules and, and did well against them and then, and then also played well in January and February. So there's a lot to – Lot of ACC ball to play. Uh, so some key non-conference games you, you mentioned. The Houston game has had my attention, just like you, Jerry. Um, you know the compressed ACC schedule with ad- adding the two games uh, to the to the schedule, making it a twenty-game schedule. Mandates we have to play a, a game before two games before Christmas, and we have to play after the exam break. Uh, I think that there's a road game that we play, and so we couldn't schedule the normal comeback game that we would love to have before playing someone like Houston. We would normally like to play a uh, RPI 200 plus uh, coming back because even those games in past years have not been the greatest looking games for Virginia yes. teams coming back from that break. Right. You're coming back with the number one team in the country, so that's <laughs> gonna be tough. Yeah, um, and I, yeah. I'm uh, I'm hoping Houston stays number one. Yeah, uh, coming into that game, they haven't been number one since 1983, and that brings back some great memories for me because uh, that was the year that. Uh, I believe that was the season when uh, Virginia played Houston in Japan and uh, with Clyde Drexler and Larry Michaud and uh, Hakeem Olajuwon and uh, some other really good players. And uh, Virginia beat them without Ralph in Japan. It was after the uh, game of the century against Patrick Ewing and Georgetown in the Cap Center. And uh, – I flew uh, the next morning straight to Japan, to Tokyo, for that tournament. And uh, we didn't know when we got there that Ralph, Ralph was going to be sick. He had the flu and uh, didn't play in that event. And um, I was the only American reporter over there in Tokyo for that three-team uh, tournament Uh Brought to us by uh, sponsored by uh, Suntory, I think it was uh, a Japanese drink company, I believe. And 
Um, so the Houston uh, Chronicle uh, contacted me to cover the Cougars uh, for them. And I was also covering it for Sports Illustrated as a correspondent for their holiday uh, wrap up. So I was quite busy in the hotel uh, with a uh, time difference, trying to cover it for an AM paper, a PM paper, and uh, Sports Illustrated. So uh, I kept myself uh, running back and forth in a taxi cab from my hotel to the United Press International building downtown Tokyo to uh, have my stories telexed all hours of the day and night trying to uh, keep up with it. But uh, one of the fun parts for me was covering, not only covering Virginia, but covering Houston's practices and riding with Guy Lewis in their little bus uh, from the hotel to the gym for practice and um, having breakfast breakfast with the uh, Clyde Drexler and a couple other guys and, and riding in the bus with the team to the game. And I'll never forget as long as I live riding through downtown Tokyo and some of the Houston players talking about, uh, man, it's hard to imagine that this city is beautiful and brilliant as it is with all the neon lights and stuff and, and vibrant as it was then in 1983, uh, was once burned to the ground. And, uh, Olajuwon, uh from Africa, obviously, had no knowledge of this. And he said, he asked the, his teammates, he said, why was it burned to the ground? And they said it was because of World War II. Uh, and he said, what was World War II? He, he had no idea at the time what World War II was. So um, it, it was a, a cool experience for me, uh, just getting to know those guys a little bit and covering them. and. Um, and, and covering that entire event. So um, it'll be uh, five slamma jammer revisited when they come to Charlottesville in, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, let's get Texas knocked out of the way at number two and have that be a one versus two. That'd be uh, cool, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be something? I mean, and, and, and then the, the one versus two, the 83 aspect for Houston, uh, it'll bring back a hey, we'll have to go, you have to go through your archives uh, and revisit some of those stories from the uh, 83. Uh, trip uh, just to to bring that back to light. That'd be that'd be kind of fun for you to do. It sounds like you've already got a lot to tell. Yeah, there was a million stories coming out of that week in Tokyo, and uh, uh, some of it, some some pretty funny stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. I'll have to dig that up. And uh, one of the one of the cool things I'll I'll remember as well is that um, I, I got to know a, a Japanese uh, sports writer. While I was there and uh, he was covering the event and he tipped me off that one morning in the hotel, they were bringing in a guy from the Japanese Olympic team um, to meet Ralph. The guy wanted to meet Ralph. And this guy <laughs> was a freak of nature. I mean, he was a giant. He, he, he looked bigger than Andre the giant. I've never seen Ralph Sampson look so stunned at seeing another human being that made Ralph look small. <laughs> this guy was like seven, five or seven, six, and he must've weighed 350 pounds. I mean, he was <laughs> the biggest human being I have ever seen in my life. And I mean, Ralph's jaw dropped. I think when he's met this guy, 
the guy wasn't very fast. He couldn't get up and down the floor very fast like Ralph, but my goodness, what a huge intimidating person he was. It was I think I have a picture of that somewhere. I'll see if I can find it, but yeah, uh, there was a lot of cool stories coming out of there. I think this is a this is where the podcast needed to go anyway. Uh, we talked about earlier uh, being named to the Hall of Fame. Um, for for those out there listening who, um, you know, they know generally Jerry Rackle has been around for forty plus years. Um, talk talk to us about your career. I, I just learned, for example, I mean, because I, I I learned recently you dropped in that when you first started your career, you were not just a sports writer. You did sports and news uh, at the beginning of your career. Talk, talk some about just your, your, you know, your experiences in that respect. Yeah. I can't say that it was a, a, a lot of fun because I didn't want to be a news reporter. <laughs> you, you knew you wanted to be a sports writer when you came out of yeah. college. Yes. Yeah. Um, I actually, I was still in college. Oh, you were still in college. Okay. Okay. I'm working part-time, but um yeah, and until a uh, full-time sports job opened up, um, and, and I was at a very small newspaper. The entire newsroom was in one big, not even that big a room, really. Um, but, yeah, uh, I had to do uh, everything from covering the uh, Women's Garden Club meeting <laughs> in that small town, Pulaski, Virginia. Um which is in Southwest Virginia, not far from Virginia Tech, for those who don't know. Um, to uh, I covered a murder trial, um, a very grisly murder. Uh, some people um, went into a uh, one of these mom and pop motels and murdered murdered the elderly lady in a vicious murder. Um, beat her husband to near death, he, he probably should have died. He survived and identified the uh, suspects. And uh, I didn't know what I was doing. I was trying to cover a murder trial, having no experience doing that. Um, thank God I had an experienced editor uh, who had worked at the Miami Herald uh, before and knew his stuff and uh, taught me a lot of stuff along the way. But uh, that would turn into a mistrial. They had to cover. Uh, they had to have another trial. I, did, I thank God I didn't have to cover that. But uh, I covered all kinds of stuff. I had to uh, uh, cover a, uh, an, a an airplane crash in the mountains um, in the wintertime. Um, me and a photographer made our way up the mountain and got there before the state police did. The, the only person there was the uh, forest ranger. And uh, I still, to this day, don't know why, but me and the photographer and the forest ranger were assigned by the state police to carry the body uh, of the pilot down the mountain. Uh, no path. It was like a mile and a half or two miles through brush, no trail or anything on a makeshift stretcher. And uh, that was a rather harrowing experience for me. Um I had never really been around uh, dead anyone a, a dead person up until that point, and uh, not much fun. Uh, very very disconcerting. Um, uh, some frivolous stuff. I had to. Uh, there was a lake down there called Clater Lake, and these yahoos came into the newspaper and claimed that there was a monster that lived under Clater Lake in caves, and I was assigned to go with these guys 
and do a story on it. And so I didn't know what I was getting into, but I was uh, found myself crawling on my belly uh, through mud in a couple of very tight passes under the lake in caves where uh, there was not much room between the the top of my back and the bottom of my stomach to slither through some passageways that uh, made me feel very <laughs> uncomfortable that I didn't know if I was going to get stuck or get out of there or not. So um, a, lot of a lot of junk like that, Chris. Um, Did you find a monster, by the way? Uh, we, we saw something that was supposed to be monster tracks, but I have a feeling that they had been man-made and placed uh -huh. there well ahead of time by these gotcha. guys. Gotcha, yeah, yeah. That's but how those stories it, usually work out, yeah. But it did have a lot. It was a very well-read story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, I had to do a lot of other goofy stuff like the astrological forecast. So I, I asked for forgiveness for people back in those days if uh, – <laughs> If I uh, took some liberties and said, uh, if you're a uh, Sagittarius, don't go, go anywhere near electric electrical appliances today or stay away from the water this month or uh, various things like that. Wait, that you, you actually had to write? You had to come up with those? No, I just changed them. Oh, you changed? Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Good. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. My own amusement because I was bored. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I started in, in, in newspapers in 1995, I was the opposite. I actually, I mean, I, the sports job was part-time. I wanted a full-time news job, um, and I did sports for six months waiting for the news job to open up. But then I had to, I had to do a lot of the same silly things uh, whenever, when hunting season, which is now, the, this time of year, whenever some, I'll say when some yahoo would come in after shooting a deer, um, the sports editor said, uh, I remember the first time I first time I did this, the first of many times. Uh, go out there and take a picture and do a story. I did that too. Yeah, you know, yeah I mean, and, and I've I've told people, I've told young journalism students that, like when I go speak at college, college journalism classes, and they look at me like I got something hanging in my mouth. I mean, it's just like, really, you had to write a story about some guy who shot a deer? Oh yeah, we had to, you know, had to get the information. Yep. Yep. Um, typing the obituaries, typing the bowling scores, you yep. know, I mean. Yep. You know, and again, the kids are like, really? You had to do? Yeah, that's what you had to do. Yeah, whatever they told you to do, you did. And you were happy to do it and um, to be able to do the fun stuff. Um, so when did you, so for, for the listeners out there again, when did you get to Charlottesville? When did you get to the Daily Progress and start covering UVA sports? Yeah, I had a, a four-year uh, experience in Danville, Virginia. Before that, I was sports editor of the morning paper and the uh, weekend papers, which was a combined circulation. And um, that's really where I found myself, uh, before I didn't really know what I was doing. I don't think I just tried to feel my way through it, but, um, yeah, I covered Virginia tech and, and Wake Forest and a lot of high school sports, um, at the first paper, uh, I was over three sports departments at the, that time, three small sports departments in Pulaski, Radford and Blacksburg. And then in Danville, um, it was really cool because I covered uh, uh, not only Tech and UVA, uh, but Wake Forest, NC State, Duke, and Carolina. So uh, I was covering six schools and getting to know a lot of the other writers in the ACC, all the ACC personnel, a lot of the coaches at all those schools, and uh, experimenting with uh, newspapers, not just writing, but uh, – design and stuff and did some uh, 
a lot of experimenting and a, a lot of stuff that was far out and uh, helped me develop as a not only a journalist but as a uh, page designer and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, so when I got to Charlottesville, I was pretty well schooled in a lot of areas in in, uh, in newspapers, and there's nothing like experience to uh, on the job experience, as you well know. And I think anybody that's come up through the business will tell you the same thing. Uh, you learn stuff there you don't learn in school. So um, I got to Charlottesville in 1982. Uh, my first game was covering Virginia and North Carolina, and they were number one and number two in the nation. Uh, Ralph Sampson and, and uh, all the great Carolina players. Uh, and... Uh, I got here essentially the same time as George Welsh. In fact, I, it, from Danville, I covered George Welsh's press conference uh, when he was introduced as their new head coach. And it was still maybe the most memorable coaching press conference I've ever been to because uh, I'll never forget one of my heroes, <clears throat> one of my heroes, Bill Millsaps of the Richmond Times Dispatch, uh, who still. I regard as the greatest sports writer in this state's history. Um, looked up and, and asked George, he said, uh, George, Virginia's been known as a coach's graveyard. Why would you why would you come here? And without thinking, George said, well, if it's a graveyard, it's a very lovely graveyard. <laughs> and George talked about how he didn't see any reason to – that Virginia couldn't be a top 25 program. And, and by God, he, he made it one and uh, uh, did something that anybody who knew the status of Virginia football at that time to this day still can't believe the transition. He, he made uh, one of the greatest coaching jobs in, in the history of, of any sport, I think. Uh, and so – uh, I've had a lot of opportunities to leave here over the years and go to much bigger papers uh, all over the country. And, you know, I'm just one of these guys. That I, I like to stay put. I, I liked it here. I could do pretty much anything I wanted to for years at the newspaper before the newspaper industry started going down the tubes. Uh, I mean, I went to Final Fours. I went to bowl games. I covered the NFL. I went to Super Bowls. uh covered the U.S. Open, Masters. Uh, a lot of really cool stuff over that span of my career. And so, uh, you know, I, I felt like I had a, an ideal job. I had good relationships with the majority of the um, coaches at UVA through the years. And um, I was a pretty happy camper. So um, I stayed and, and I don't regret it. For, for those listening um, who don't know Jerry personally, this is, this for Jerry is like me, being a dentist pulling his teeth right now without Novocaine. He hates talking about himself. That's um, true. I do. He absolutely does. He's he, for 40 some years, you've been asking people questions and getting them to talk about themselves. Um, and I always, I'm always saying and emailing and saying, Jerry, talk more about stuff, whatever. Um, and so, um, you know, I, so I'll share an experience. This, this is, you know, I, I've had the fortune to work with you, Jerry, the last four, four plus years. Um, and uh, I, I'll, at the Orange Bowl in late 2019, yeah. um, and and so Jerry again, you know, and it's this is not a this is not a front. Jerry's the most humble guy that you'll ever meet. 
My wife, Crystal, says, Jerry is such a gentleman. We were talking about, we were talking about you just this morning in, in the context of the Hall of Fame. Jerry, there are many people like Jerry in terms of, you know, the, the, just how proper he is and how, how respectful he is of everyone. And so, you know, Scott German and I are there covering the Orange Bowl for Augusta Free Press. And Jerry's there, of course, for jerryradcliffe.com. And, you know, the game starts at 8, 8.30, whatever time it is. You get off the bus. The media bus takes you there. It's like 4.30, 5 o'clock, something like that. And Scott's just eager to get on the field. You know, there's nobody there. there. There's not even a guy like warm. There's not even a single guy warming up. It's just we want to walk on the field and see what it's like. So we eventually convinced Jerry to join us. <laughs> and Jerry's like, oh, yeah, I'll walk on the field with you. And um, then, you know, players start trickling out for pregame warmups, and then the alums start trickling out. And I, I'm not – I'm not overstating this. It's like we were we were walking. We Scott and I were the bodyguards of the Pope, um, because everybody wanted to see Jerry, and we're just there. I mean, you know, Scott and I are just so Scott's job was to take pictures, and, and Jerry kept pulling me into pictures with the likes of everybody, who's who in UVA sports past, because Jerry didn't want to be in a picture by himself, and. Um, and I've got all the I've got a sheepish look, sheepish look on my face because I don't deserve to be here. I, I don't know Chris Long. I don't know Tiki Barber. And he's they're, they're putting their arm around me like they're my best friend. No, they're they're do, they're doing that because Jerry told them to. And Jerry is he, Jerry. I don't know how you do it, man. I mean, you're just the you're just the you know, everybody. But it, it's not like it's a big deal to you. You're it, it's just like Chris Long and, and Tiki and Thomas Jones, who we had on the podcast and just loves you. Thomas Jones would do anything for you. You've got you've got these great relationships with these people. And it just astounds me um, that all these years later, they still revere you the way they do. Well, I, you know, I, I think it's just because I, I, I treat them like they're just people like the rest of us. And I think that's the way they really want to be treated. And uh, they've at, they're at the height of their professions and uh, celebrities and all that stuff. But I, you know, down deep there, you know, it's Tiki Barber and Ronnie Barber from Roanoke Cave Spring High School and Thomas Jones from uh, Powell Valley. And uh, he'll tell you about playing football on the side of a mountain on Friday night. <laughs> And all these other guys. I mean, and Chris Long. He's you know just he's a kid who probably didn't think he'd ever be where he is today uh, when he was at St. Anne's as a sophomore in high school. Uh, they're just good people. They're just good guys, and uh, they're just regular guys. And uh, you know, I'm I'm fortunate to have covered them and gotten to know them. And, and the one thing that I regret about how the sports business has um, I don't know if evolved is the right word, word but as, 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 as what it is now compared to what it was, was growing up is we got a chance to, to know these guys in, in school when they were college athletes or high school athletes, particularly college athletes. We got to hang out with those guys and Anthony Poindexter and James Ferrier and Sean Moore and Herman Moore and on and on and on. Ralph Sampson, uh, all those, all the basketball stars, Malcolm Brogdon, um, Joe Harris, those guys. Uh, not as much 
in, in recent years, but up until recent years, we got to know these guys because we had a lot of ac accessibility. Um, I've become friends with a lot of these guys over the years. Uh, Terry Kirby, uh, Chris Slade, um, some of the basketball guys, uh, you know, on and on. Uh, Ryan Zimmerman. Um, you can't do that now because you get limited access. That these guys, these guys, they don't really get to know you as as media. Um, sometimes I think they, because they don't know us like the old guys got to know us. They don't know whether they can trust us or not. They don't know what we're all about. Um, well, for the most part, they just sit them up there on a the, the, the media relations people sit them up on a podium and. We don't, yeah, we don't get the one on one. Like even just a few years ago, we used to get. Yeah, I mean, we used to could sit around with these guys at a table and, and talk, and and sometimes it would lead to more than just about that game or about the season they're having. It would be about their family and what they like to do in their spare time, and 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 they got to know you a little bit, and and that relationship would blossom over there. I wouldn't have all these friends that you that you mentioned and, and more uh, if it hadn't been different. If if it was to if it was like if it, then if it was like it is now, I wouldn't know these guys like this, and and that we wouldn't have the respect for one another that that we do, and we wouldn't have the. I mean, I've had great friendships with some of these guys, and and that goes for coaches too. Yeah. Uh, a lot of these coaches from the past are are good friends to this day, even though a lot of them aren't even here anymore. Don't even aren't even coaching anymore, but. Um, it's a, it's a shame that the world we live in now isn't more like that because again, it, there's a lot of really cool relationships that I think could be fostered if we did have that kind of access. And, you know, I, I think it's a shame that, uh, that it's not that way anymore. It feels more adversarial now, and it never was like that. I agree. Yeah, and it shouldn't be because I, we're not out to get these guys. And yeah, I know some some media have a bad reputation with athletes, and but the majority of media don't. Most of the majority of the media at schools all around the country, and are you know they're just doing their job, and there's really usually not much to criticize or or take shots at people. So, uh it's something missing from today's sports world that that's a shame because uh, again, they don't know if they can trust us because they don't know us and, and, and we won't have these relationships down the road with that, that we've had in the past because we really don't have, ever get a much of an opportunity to know each other. So I got to ask, how did you hear about the hall of fame um, and uh, pending induction? When did you get word? How did you get word? And, and what was your what was your reaction when you got the word? Well, actually, uh, it was the best professional phone call I've ever gotten in my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was from Will Driscoll, uh, the executive, the new executive director of the Hall of Fame. He's been there for a few years now. Uh, incredible guy, um, who I think is going to do great things with the State Sports Hall, Hall of Fame. We'll have him on a podcast sometime soon. I think you'll like him. He's a really good guy. Um, he actually called me November 7th, the morning of November 7th, Chris, and 
Uh, he told me to keep my mouth shut until they released it uh, this past Monday morning. So it was hard to do. Um, and uh, because it was so exciting, but uh, I was, uh, I was speechless. And if you know me, it's, it's hard for me to be speechless, but um, I, 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 it was, you know, you hear people say, uh, are you pulling my leg? Are you kidding me? Or are you, you just messing with me or something? And um I was I was blown away. I was totally blown away. Um, uh, incredibly humbled, and uh, I just wish my mom would had been around to see it. Um, and uh, uh, it's it's just cool for my family and my friends and uh, and those who have uh, known me for so long. And um, again, the response has been overwhelming, and uh, I appreciate everybody that has reached out i've tried to answer everybody's uh note and i, I think i have I, I don't know about the ones on facebook because i don't get on facebook but uh, the others i have by email or text or um twitter so but it, it was uh it was i was i was just blown away chris totally blown away what are the details when 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 is the induction uh, it's April 21st and 22nd, I believe, in Virginia Beach. Um, the Hall of Fame doesn't have its uh, home anymore. It lost it a few years ago. They had a home in Portsmouth for years, a really cool building that they had incredible displays in. I think they have something um, now in a um, facility in Norfolk down near the waterfront. Uh, I don't know the specifics of it of that, but I, I think the ceremony um, is is in Virginia Beach, and um, there's a hotel, and we'll we'll put up um, some information about that because I know some people have asked if they could attend, and yes, there, there is a it's a two day thing. I think they have a, a breakfast of champions uh, the day before, and a um, uh, some sort of a cocktail party or reception or something like that. And then the ceremony is the next day. Um, but we'll put up information for that. I, I, one of my good friends um, used to be sports editor in Lynchburg, Jeff Motley, um, really close to me is the um, PR director of uh, Las Vegas Speedway. And uh, he told me the other day he's going to be there and that, which that, that blew me away that he would, think that much of me to come all the way across the country to this so um but a lot of people have asked uh, about it we'll put that up for anybody who's interested in, in attending because it'll be a cool day not to see me but to see ryan zimmerman and uh sean moore uh they were two uh, much more celebrated people than i am and and uh, it'll be here uh, cool listening to their stories um i think there's seven minute speeches and not long enough for those two to tell about their career. It's more than enough for me. I could have done mine in three minutes probably, <laughs> but uh, uh, some other really neat people too. There's a, a track gal from Louisa who I think won uh, 32 national championships or some crazy, incredible number like that. I'm looking forward to meeting her and uh, Jimmy Laycock, the great uh, William and Mary football coach for so long. He's a cool guy. And I'm, he could probably tell stories for three hours and you wouldn't get tired of listening to those. And uh, 
just some other neat people. I think D'Angelo Hall from Virginia Tech and uh, some other people that uh, are, are very worthy of, of being in there. And so uh, I'm honored to be in their company. I want to be there for that weekend for the speeches, but I also just want to hang around the bar um, at, yeah. before and after the speeches. That's where you'll hear the real stories. Huh? Yeah, that's those are the ones you the good stories that you can't tell in public. <laughs> <laughs> that's where you want to be, right? So, uh, yeah, I, I look forward to that information coming out. That's uh, that, that's something to look forward to. And again, congratulations! What an what an awesome honor. Uh, and thank you for letting me interview you here too, especially because I didn't warn you I was going to interview you. I wanted to spring it on you um, so that because I knew if I warned you, you'd say, "Ah, no, nah, let's just talk about you know football and basketball." And so, no, I got I I, I got you. And um, no, it was it, this is a great listen for all those people out there. I mean, those who even who've known you for all these years, but those who uh, have known you and, and maybe didn't know all these details. There's we could we could talk for hours and get stories. And, and usually when I mean, those rare trips when we're all going together somewhere, um, I'm fortunate. Usually it's just Scott German is driving. He'll ask you questions and I'm just sitting there listening. And I, I'm just I'm it's entertaining. It's it, that, that I learn something new every time. So um, look forward to more of those as well. Well, Jerry, as we're wrapping up here, um, uh, you want to thank the sponsors as we're heading out? Oh, absolutely. Um wouldn't be able to do this without them and we appreciate them and the people that sponsored the website and but because we're podcast only today i'll uh, thank those people uh the good feet people good feet people um the good foot store and stone uh gosh <laughs> why and i'm blanking on it too there jerry and i go shopping there i just went there oh oh gosh stone stonefield Stonefield. <laughs> some reason I was thinking Stonehenge, and I know that's not right, but I, I, I kept I kept clock. sticking on Stonehenge too, and I know that's not right either. A, uh, a collective brain issue there, yeah. <laughs> Stonefield beside the Burger Bach and across from the theater. Um, good feet people are, are awesome people. Uh, uh, Mr. Cotton, uh, he's got some stories of his own. He can tell. We'll have to get him to tell some of those on here on a podcast sometime. But anyway. Um, those people, I can personally testify to how they can help you with, uh, the foot arches and stuff that, that, uh, help your feet, help your ankles, help your joints, uh, all through your body. And, uh, you owe it to yourself to go see them. If you're having any difficulty or uh, experiencing any discomfort and walking, running, et cetera. Uh, in fact, that's how he ended up buying the business. He was a runner, and I guess he still is, and was having some discomfort, went in there, didn't know they existed. They fixed him up immediately, and he was so impressed he bought the company. Uh, so uh, that tells you how good it is. And uh, also Aberdeen Barn, we don't have to – they speak for themselves. If you've ever been to Aberdeen Barn, you know how good it is. Uh, best steakhouse in Virginia. and. Uh, Gosh, go by. The atmosphere is awesome. The food is awesome. The service is awesome. And uh, you owe it to yourself to drop by there and, and get a meal sometime over this great holiday season. Also, uh, UVA Orthopedics, uh, the great doctors over there work on your Wahoos and uh, work mainly work on everybody in our community and beyond. Uh, some of the best surgeons in the business. Um, they've operated on a lot of college and pro athletes and fixed them up. Some names that 
or household names in the United States. So um, if you're having any kind of problems, go see them at their new facility out on Ivy Road. Incredible place. And also Ragged Mountain Running Shop uh, for all your needs. Uh, we need to do another running podcast here soon and get uh, Mark Warren's on you back on the air and talk, update us on the running news of Charlottesville. So uh, thanks to all those guys. They make all this possible and we appreciate their support. Well, thanks to Jerry Ratcliffe, and thanks to you for listening. And if you uh, want more information on UVA sports, go to jerryratcliffe.com. There's also information on UV, uh, augustafreepress.com, I should say, and um, you get the latest on, on UVA uh, sports. Well, thanks for listening today. We really appreciate it, and everyone have a great day.